This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Wipe, wipe, wipe it down. Wipe, wipe, wipe. Good morning, everybody. I'm Dave Rubin. This is The Rubin Report. It's Monday, July 17th, 2023. We're live streaming on Rumble, Locals, and YouTube. Uh, we've got a post-game show, as always, at rubinreport.locals.com. By the way, we do a live chat there as well, where my team, the very people sitting in this room at this very moment, are in there chatting with you live, communicating with you. You're communicating with other human beings. No bots, no trolls. It's spectacular. And then a post-game show just for you after. So if you want to join us, please do. And uh, today we're going old school to some degree uh, because we're doing racehorse politics. We are diving back into the presidential stuff, hardcore. You know my feelings on this. I've been trying to take my foot off the pedal just a little bit. We've been doing more cultural stuff. I'm trying not to do every day. Trump said this, DeSantis said this, Vivek said this, blah, 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 because we are freaking fracking early people. The first debate is not until August 23rd, which is over a month from now. I will be there and I think I'm gonna be anchoring uh, most of Rumble's coverage. We're working on figuring that all out. Stay tuned on that. By the way, that'll be my first day back on the grid because I go off the grid for August, coming back on August 23rd. It's a little abbreviated this year for that. But the first voting of this primary is not until January of 24. Did you know that? January of 24, we are in July of 23 right now. So we've still basically got eight months until the first votes are cast in the first primary. So I've been trying to ease up on it. However, you like that move then? However, that was a little Trumpian, wasn't it? Uh, on Friday, Tucker Carlson uh, was part of an event with The Blaze and a couple other organizations. Uh, and they did this political forum where Tucker went toe to toe with a bunch of the candidates. And he ended a couple candidacies, I would say. And he also, uh, well, I don't want to say boosted a couple, but showed some of the goodness of some of the candidates. We're going to unpack all of that. Plus Trump was at a turning point event. It was a big, it was a big political three days. So we're going to dive right back into all of that. But first let's dive into Moink Box because you good people know that 60% of U.S. pork production comes from one company owned by the Chinese, and their hogs are given something called ractopamine, which is banned in 160 countries, including China, yet you find it in your grocery aisle every day. Well, there's a better way, guys. I want to tell you about Moink, which is moo plus oink. Moink delivers grass-fed and grass-finished beef and lamb, pastured pork and chicken, and sustainable wild-caught Alaskan salmon straight to your door. You choose the meat delivered in every box, like ribeyes to chicken breasts to pork chops to salmon fillets and much more. Plus, you can cancel any time. There's nothing better than cooking some filet mignon on my big green egg on a Friday evening. I did it this past weekend. Shark Tank host Kevin O'Leary called Moink's bacon the best bacon he's ever tasted, and they guarantee you will say oink, oink. I'm just so happy I got moinked. Keep American farming going by signing up at moinkbox.com slash Ruben right now. And listeners of this show get free ground beef for a year, a full calendar year. That's one of the best ground beef you'll ever taste, but for a limited time. And now back to me. So Tucker Carlson does this big event on Friday, and I thought we would start the show uh, with Tucker explaining a bit about how the whole day went, and then we'll show you some stuff from the day itself. When you got up this morning, yeah. did you imagine that you would see not one, but two presidential candidates light themselves on fire in front of you? When I get up this morning, as every morning when I wake up, I don't imagine anything. Right. <laughs> I haven't had a drink in 21 years, and every single morning I wake up hungover. I feel like I've had a quarter stoli and a six-pack of some rotten beer. I just feel horrible in the morning. <laughs> every morning. And so I put my pants on, I shuffled downstairs, and got coffee, and <laughs> uh, So I didn't think about it at all until I was seated across from 
Asa. Senator Scott, who was the first, and I really like, I mean, I like them all. Like, politicians are super charming. Like, they're, they like, they're good with people. That's why they're in this business. So I like all of them. Uh, but no, I, I, I do think that Republican voters or the system controlled by the Republican Party doesn't ask a lot of a lot of its candidates. It's like enough to say certain, to repeat certain bumper stickers from the 80s. Peace through strength, lower taxes, whatever. Right. I'm all, I'm for all that, by the way. But they don't like. No one ever gets pushed very hard. Right. And so it doesn't take much. I was certainly not acting out of hostility. But if you're just like, well, what do you mean? Uh. <laughs> 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 the question. And then people say, oh, you're so mean. Really? You're trying to run my country. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Okay, so the way the forum worked is that Tucker, throughout the day, it was a it was a long day event with the family leadership summit and my good friends at the Blaze who did a bang up job. Credit to to Glenn and everybody over there; they did a really great job producing this thing. Uh, and he sat down with each one of these candidates. Not everybody showed up. Donald Trump, for example, did not show up, but the rest of them, most of the rest, did. The ones that we at least believe will be on the uh, debate stage on August twenty third, and he gave them a chance to talk. But what Tucker did, which was very clever was really ask probing questions, not do the thing that they do on CNN, right? Not just tee it up. He asked them the right questions. So let's get to the first one. Oh no, you know what, before we get to the first one, actually, I thought I'd frame the show uh, because that was Tucker post some of the things we're about to show you. So now we're gonna show you a bunch of things and I normally don't do this, but I thought I'm gonna ask you guys two questions to have in mind as you're watching today's show. Because I think if you can answer these questions by the end of today's show, you'll have a little more of a direction uh, in terms of who you might vote for come November of 24, which again is basically a year and a half from now. Uh, but number one is what they are saying in line with your political values. That's the obvious one, right? Like, do they say things that you basically believe in? Like, are those, whether it's on abortion or taxes or foreign policy or whatever, are those the things that you basically believe in? And, and what, how do you order those things in the hierarchy of importance to you? Is abortion number one or taxes number one? Is the border number six? Like, whatever that is, just think about that as question number one. And question number two is, if so, if you find one of the people that we're about to show you, we're gonna show you everybody, several clips from everybody, if you find the guy or gal that, that you line up with the most, is there evidence to suggest that as president, they will actually succeed in cementing those values, those beliefs that you hold into both law and culture? Basically, do you think that they can do it? So those are the two questions that I pose to you as you watch today's show. So first, let's start uh, with Mike Pence. Mike Pence went, I believe, third of the day. Uh, but this was really like the wrecking ball moment of the entire conference. Tucker got into it with former VP Mike Pence, Mike Pence over uh, focusing on Ukraine rather than focusing on what's happening here right in the United States of America. Sorry, Mr. Vice President, have you, I know you're running for president. You are, distra you. You are distressed notice. that the Ukrainians don't have enough American tanks. Every city in the United States has become much worse over the past three years. Yeah. Drive around, there's not one city that's gotten better in the United States, right. and it's visible. Our economy has degraded, the suicide rate has jumped, public filth and disorder and crime have exponentially increased, right. And yet, your concern is that the Ukrainians, a country most people can't find on a map, who've received tens of billions of U.S. tax dollars, don't have enough tanks. Right. I think it's a fair question to ask, like, where's the concern for the United States in that? Well, it's not my concern. <laughs> Tucker, I've heard that routine from you before, but that's not my concern. I'm running for president of the United States because I think this country's in a lot of trouble. It's not my concern. Now, I want to give the devil his due here. I wanna be as uh, bipartisan, nonpartisan as possible. When he's saying it's not my concern, like Tucker's saying, why don't you care about the cities of America? I don't think he's flat out saying, if you listen to the extended answer, I don't care about the cities of America at all. What he got into was, I sort of care that America as a superpower can do a lot of things at once. But there is a tone deafness, unfortunately, with Mike Pence that I think that moment basically blew apart his campaign. I, I, I genuinely, and I, 
I don't think he's a bad dude. I really don't think he's a bad dude at all, actually. And I hopefully will interview him. I don't know anyone that supports him. I have yet to meet anyone that says I'm, I'm a Mike Pence guy. I don't know why he's getting in on this. Uh, they got further into the Ukraine thing. And it's like, he's, he's into this war. He's into giving them more weapons. Obviously that's not Tucker's position. Now Tucker's at least upfront about his position, which is contrary to say what someone on CNN might be doing when they're up there, right? If you've got Jake Tapper up there, they're not gonna tell you what their position is and they're gonna ask you something, but frame it in a way that you'll sort of know it. Tucker doesn't hide what his isolationist position is on Ukraine uh, and foreign policy in general, right? right? You may not agree with it, I don't fully agree with it. I do to a large extent, but it is what it is. Pence there just kind of blew himself up because he repeated this line over and over. That is not my concern. Like, I don't care enough for the average American. Now, he may not have meant it, uh, but that is the way it came off. Also, I would say about Pence, just sort of, you know, part of this is based on personality, right? Like there's a cult of personality around Donald Trump. Pence comes off as sort of like the cartoon caricature, a Simpsons 1994, season five Simpsons, when they would draw like the generic Republican. How would he look and behave? That pretty much is Mike Pence. So it was a bad day for Mike Pence. He got booed a bunch, like he got owned repeatedly on Twitter. It was, it was not pretty for him. Uh, but speaking of not pretty, uh, Asa Hutchinson apparently is running for president. Again, no, if you don't know anyone that's supporting Mike Pence, you, you know negative people, negative six people that are supporting Asa Hutchinson, except that blonde lady whose name I never know from The View, whatever her name is, that extra blonde that they toss in every now and again. She said she's, she wishes the Republicans would nominate someone like Asa Hutchinson. Well, here's Tucker asking Asa Hutchinson about chemically castrating children. No, 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 I mean, no, no, but no. you said that children should be able to choose their gender and their parents should be able to affirm that and the state has no role in getting involved. So how is that different? You're saying that a child shouldn't be able to choose a bathroom, but he can choose his sex. I don't understand. Let me finish okay. what I Great. said. Let me finish. Oh, I hope you will. If you don't mind. Well, please do. And the finish is that I told Obama they were wrong. I said it publicly that the school districts can ignore that guidance. And so that's where I think this, the government should not be pushing an agenda in our schools. And that's what I oppose. And so I want the government to stay out. I want the parents and communities and our faith to guide us through these difficult decisions. And I, and I will stop with this, but you have repeatedly described delaying a child's natural progression from childhood to adulthood through adolescence. You've described that as, quote, treatment. And so that raises the, I mean, clearly you've answered the question, you believe it's treatment. You believe, I suppose, that people can change their sex. Because if you don't believe that, you wouldn't call it treatment, would you? <laughs> well, the God created two genders, and that's what I have stated. Okay, I don't know that I need to do much analysis on this one. There really was no campaign. The guy's not really running. I don't know why they put him on that stage. Yes, God did only create two genders. You cannot magically become a woman if you chop off your penis. It's not how it works. The fact that he's so unclear on this stuff when it comes to children especially and the chemical castration stuff and the drugs and all of it, like, he basically, Tucker, Tucker just ended something that didn't even exist. It wasn't even necessary, but Tucker did it. And then as if that wasn't the kill shot, and then it was, it was the kill shot. Asa Hutchinson was just laying there as just like, like a puddle of nothingness. Then they got into it about vaccines and Tucker actually came out with a shocker here. Watch this. One of the powers that government did usurp uh, over the past several years is, is the right to decide what medicine you take in the form of, of COVID mandates. Um, how did you feel about that? And how many COVID shots did you take? And how do you feel about it now, in retrospect? How many COVID shots did you take? Zero. But, but I think it's fair, and I, and I can see that you recoiled when I asked you that question. Um, and I don't think, honestly, you should be asking people about their medical care, but that became a, a matter of public policy. And I do think that the whole country ought to pause and assess, like, what did we just go through? What, How do we feel about it now? And so it's a very straightforward question. All right. So this is pretty powerful. Asa Hutchinson aside, Tucker just for the first time announced that he never took any COVID shots. 
Uh, now, what's interesting about that is Tucker was on air, obviously, throughout COVID. Fox had all of their regulations related to COVID. Tucker was obviously doing his show from home or remote studios throughout a lot of it. They were forcing employees to be vaccinated. Um, it's interesting to me, and I would love to know from Tucker, and hopefully I'll get to talk to him about it at some point, why he didn't say that earlier. You know, it's interesting. Everyone has their own, first off, your private personal me uh, medical information is not anyone else's business as a general rule. You guys may remember at the height of COVID when I was on uh, Fox LA TV with civil rights lawyer Gloria Allred and she asked me if I was vaxxed and then I asked her when the last time she got laid was. Like it's nobody's business, these things. So I was a little surprised that Tucker asked the question, but so be it. Uh, Hutchinson just walked right into it. Um, I would like to know from Tucker personally what his calculation was on not, saying it while he was at Fox, everyone has their own calculations. I have my own calculations. When we were living in LA, if you remember the Rubin report back then, as frustrated I was with COVID and mandates and everything else, I never fully said I was not vaxxed until we got to Florida uh, because I did not want to risk getting arrested or God knows what if I had shown up to a restaurant with a fake passport or whatever stupid thing they were doing of the day. So I, it was fairly obvious, I think, if you were watching the show and playing along with some contextual clues that I was not vaxxed. Uh, but I, again, I did not fully openly announce it until uh, we moved to Florida at, in December of 21. Anyway, that's just like a little bit of a sidebar there. Uh, but you could feel what's interesting to me is the audience's reaction to that. The audience basically explodes in applause when Tucker says he's not vaxxed. And that will be an interesting thing that I think Donald Trump is going to have to continue to dance with and figure out how to, how to make his moves around because he did warp speed, obviously. Tucker seems to own the base as much as Trump does. And there is going to be some tension around that. But okay, let's move on because Hutchinson, I think, Phoenix, can we make a note? Hutchinson, we're never mentioning him again on the show, right? Like, what's the point? Okay, Hutchinson, out of the way. Uh, next up was uh, Senator Tim Scott from South Carolina. You guys know, I, I think Tim Scott is a good, decent man. I've interviewed him on the show. We have tried actually to get him on the show since he announced president and his people got back to us uh, and basically said, well, we know you support DeSantis, so it doesn't look like we can do it, which whatever is what it is. Again, I'm being honest about my opinions. He's going on plenty of other shows where they're just hiding their opinions, but, oh, but so be it. I'd be happy to have him on anytime. Again, is what it is. Uh, here is Tucker Carlson and uh, Tim Scott going at it over Russia and Mexico. Here's, I'm just interested because all measures are relative. So Russia's bad, Russia's a threat, Putin's evil, got it. But the total body count from Russia in the United States is right around zero. Like, I don't know anyone who's been killed by Russia. I know people personally who've been killed by Mexico. The government of Mexico allows fentanyl to be made in its country and to come over our border. Yes. And remittances from Mexico are a huge part of their economy. The Mexican government is party to the murder of hundreds of thousands of Americans. So why is Mexico less of a threat than Russia? Well, two things. I think we can walk and chew gum at the same time. Okay, but yeah, and fr I mean, frankly, here's, here's no Americans killed by Russia, yeah. hundreds of thousands killed by Mexico, but Mexico's our ally and Russia's our enemy. How does that work? Well, I'm not going to pretend like I, the legislation I have sponsored and I would sign as president of the United States freezes the assets of the Mexican cartels, targets the Mexican cartels, and hopefully eliminates the flow of fentanyl. Because I do agree with you that 70,000 Americans losing their lives on an annual basis is an existential threat to America that we can solve. We don't have to choose the good news. Is Would we you can be solve willing that. to say to the Mexican government, your economy runs on factories right over the border, car plants, for example, but many other manufacturing uh, plants, and we're just going to slap tariffs on that and tank your economy, like tomorrow? unless you stop allowing poison to come into our country. Like, why not do that? Okay, so what's interesting here is Tim Scott didn't totally flub this thing. Uh, what Tucker was trying to do was make the clear distinction that what's happening in Mexico right now, the amount of people that are coming over, we've covered that a gajillion times, you get it. The amount of drugs they are bringing here, the crime, all of the stuff, what is happening in the border towns of all of those Texas cities that nobody seems to care about until they somehow make their way up to Martha's Vineyard, that as Americans, we should care far more about that. But you guys are always talking about Ukraine, right? You guys are always giving money to Ukraine when we should either be building a wall, we should be dealing with the 12 million people that are here, all of this stuff. 
basically what I think you got out of Tim Scott there was just more of the kind of nothingness. Well, we can do both at the same time. It wasn't horrible, but it wasn't great. So I'm trying to give you a little bit of a temperature on each of the candidates. Asa got, oh, I just said Asa again, even though I said I was never gonna say his name again. Asa, for the last time, got demolished. We're pushing him to the side. Tim Scott, it was just, it was just sort of lukewarm, not much. Now I wanna shift to, to some of the ones that, that did well, because a couple of them, I think, did do well. Uh, and in contrast to Tim Scott, Nikki Haley, Nikki Haley, who I've had on the show many times, Nikki Haley, who knows, uh, that I'm obviously supporting DeSantis. Nikki Haley has been on my show since live in Miami, what, about two months ago, after I was obviously already supporting DeSantis. Uh, she went on and got into it with Tucker, and I think she really did quite well. And I've been saying there's one dark horse in this whole thing. I think it's Nikki Haley. Here they are talking about what you do about these federal agencies that are interfering in our elections that have become big, bloviating, obstructive monstrosities. Various government agencies, intel agencies, law enforcement, FBI, CIA, NSA, were involved in shaping public opinion about the last election. They interfered with our election. And that suggests to a lot of people that maybe those agencies have too much unchecked power. You've worked in government. What do you think? Well, yes, that's true. You know, when I was governor, um, I went and replaced the heads of every agency. It's the first thing I did when I came to office. It's the first thing a president should do is you control what you can control. And you start with your agency. So I replaced the heads of every agency. I made sure they were people, um, some didn't vote for me, but they were people who knew that sector. So if it was veterans, it was someone who knew the challenges of veterans. If it was tourism, it was someone who knew heads and beds, people on golf courses. They knew what they needed to do. And I did that across the board. But the second thing I did is I put people in every agency. I send in teams into every agency to clean it up, pull down regulations, pull out down old issues, get rid of problem children. So in some cases, we had to tweak agencies. In other cases, we had to gut agencies. If you look at the American people don't trust our intelligence agencies. They don't trust our Department of Justice. So you can't just replace the person at the top. You've got to go through and really look at gutting those agencies and getting out a lot of that senior management and things that happen. Okay. Okay, so I want to throw you back to the two questions that I asked up top. Does this person that I'm watching right now sort of roughly believe in the political things that I believe in? And then the second question was the key part. Do you think they can accomplish it? What Nikki is showing right there is she's laying out, hey, do you think I can get rid of these agencies? Well, I did it as governor of South Carolina, and here's how I did it. Sometimes I would get rid of people and appoint people who didn't vote for me, but they were experts in their field. So there's every reason. The reason I was impressed by her yeah, on Friday, was there's every reason to believe that she has a track record of doing the things she's going to say she's going to do. Now, you may not agree with all of those things, but I'm just going back to those two questions that I asked you up top. Also keep in mind that she was the U.S. ambassador to the U.N. under Trump, and she leveled that place, demolished that place, which is a, a, a wretched hive of scum and villainy, and she went in there and broke skulls. So she has a track record of doing what she says she's going to do. Uh, Tucker also asked her, this, was, this is a kind of fun one that keeps coming up, what do we do about all of these classified documents from 60 plus years ago related to JFK, aliens, and a whole bunch more? Last question, which I can't resist. If they're still classifying the JFK assassination docs 60 years later, they're just mocking us, aren't they? They're totally, it's the same thing with the UFOs. They're totally making everybody want to know what happened. You just need to release all of that. Release it all. Let us see it. There's no reason to hold on to that now. Release it now. Well, good for you. Well, thank you. You won me on that one. Nikki Haley. Thank you so much. You won me on that one. I mean, that's good praise from Tucker. Look, they do not agree on a lot of Ukraine stuff. Uh, I personally happen to fall more into the Tucker camp when it comes to Ukraine. That's exactly what I said to Nikki Haley when, when we had her on the show just a couple of months ago, but she did a nice job. I think you can objectively uh, see that. Let's go on to someone else who did a nice job, who sometimes I have some frustrations with, but I'll call it as I see it. Uh, Vivek Ramaswamy was on and Tucker asked him how he thinks the United States is currently doing. How do you think the country's doing? I think the country is doing poorly, is the answer. I think that we have a void in our country. I'm the first millennial ever to run for US president as a Republican. And I see people my age in particular across this country who are not doing well. 
because we're starved for purpose and meaning. The people are looking to be part of something bigger than ourselves. And yet we've lost the things that used to ground us. Faith, patriotism, hard work, family. These things are gone. And so we're lost in the wilderness. I mean, that's solid, right? Like you could argue maybe those things aren't supposed to come from government. They probably aren't. But the basic things that used to bring us together, say roughly around faith, roughly around pride in this country, hard work, all, all of the things that I'm always talking about on the show, right? Things that Jordan Peterson is always talking about, like the things that give you purpose because you have some autonomy in your life. So he hits that. And I think, you know, he is right. As Did he describe himself as a millennial? He's the first millennial, right? Yeah, he's the millennial running for president. Um, you know, he is, there is something about younger people being sort of lost in the woods right now. And by the way, you can't blame them. It's very easy to make fun of all the young people out there, but you can't blame them because look at what their leaders did. Look at what their parents' generation and their great-grandparents' generation, the boomers now who won't let go. So I have a lot of sympathy for those people. So I think he was, he actually made a really good point there that sort of transcends politics. Like there's something else going on here that's wrong with us at a somewhat spiritual level, as I often talk about. Uh, he also connected that later. This is another good answer by him. He connected that uh, to his personal life growing up in a family uh, with two parents and why that actually has some value. Regardless of the color of your skin, how are we gonna be a country that ensures opportunity, black, white, man, woman, doesn't matter? You know, my parents came to this country with almost no money. I've gone on to found multi-billion dollar companies. And then people tell me, oh, that's because you had privilege. <laughs> they tell me white privilege. It's sort of weird. It's sort of an interesting. <laughs> it's kind of interesting. Do you, do you tell them? <laughs> I, 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 I say, take the blindfold off. <laughs> and, and, and now you have your answer. But, but the interesting answer is, actually what I do tell them, Tucker, is that I did have privilege. I didn't grow up in money. But I had two parents in the house a mother and a father with a focus on education and a faith in God. And you know what? That is the ultimate privilege. That if I'm going to enjoy that, every kid in this country ought to enjoy it too. Okay. Absolute credit where credit is due. He is right about that. That is the stuff that Thomas Sowell has talked about forever, right? The family unit, having two parents, having a stable home, going to school, knowing that you had breakfast, that someone's going to be home when you get home from school, all of those things. I was blessed to have all of those things. Those are the things that give you the foundation to go out and do good things in the world. And we have gotten away from all of those things. And by the way, that's probably connected to his earlier answer, right? He was talking about family and faith and hard work and all those things. Like those things connect. The family is the sort of building block at the bottom that then we can build everything up from. I, I do want to just quickly address, because I've had some frustrations with Vivek. I think he's done a couple really dishonest attacks on DeSantis claiming that there are hate speech laws in Florida, which there is literally nothing that you cannot say in Florida that you can say in Ohio, where he is from. I asked him repeatedly and he refuses to say it. We have, we have property rights laws here that DeSantis tightened. If there was a hate speech law in Florida, hate speech is against the First Amendment and it would be on its way up to the Supreme Court, but it's not hung up in a court anywhere. So I just want to mention three things with him that I think are worth noting about uh, Vivek and some of his history, because he also mentioned that he created billion dollar companies. Uh, this is from the New Republic. Uh, Ramaswamy seems to have paid Wikipedia editor Jay Hofferman to remove information from his page that he presumably thought would damage his candidacy in the presidential and the Republican primary. A few days later, he announced his 2024 bid. The editor scrubbed off information related to Ramaswamy receiving Paul and Daisy Soros Fellowship for New Americans in 2011 during his time as a Yale Law student. Prominent right-wing figures like Jack Posobiec have directed attention toward Ramaswamy's past fellowship, presumably in line with the aforementioned use of Soros as a catch-all for anything suspicious. Also, Ramaswamy, also removed from Ramaswamy's page, was his work serving on Ohio's COVID-19 response team. The editor claimed that Ramaswamy had explicitly asked to remove the mention of his work on the COVID team, while the editor himself deemed the fellowship to be extraneous material. Okay, so... We've got some uh, Soros connections. We've got some COVID stuff he didn't want people to know about. And there is this WEF 
relation. Uh, this is a quote from Benzinga. Uh, Vivek said he fundamentally disagrees with Geneva-based international non-governmental agenda. He added that WEF, without his consent, named him a young global leader. Ramaswamy has spoken at several WEF events, including the annual meeting in Davos. In 2019, he co-chaired the WEF's Healthy Futures Initiative, which focused on improving access to healthcare and promoting innovation in the sector. In 2021, the businessman participated in a virtual discussion on the role of technology in addressing COVID-19 pandemic as part of the WEF's Davos agenda event. So, he, you know, he does rail again. I'm just putting this out there. You can, again, you can do with this information what you like. But while he is railing against the globalists and all of those things, we know he has connections with Soros and we know he has connections with the WF. These are just facts. And I want to show you one other thing because he did mention that he has created multiple billion dollar businesses. This is from the New York Times. Uh, Mr. Ramaswamy's enterprise is best known for a spectacular failure. As a 29-year-old with a bold idea and Ivy League connections, he engineered at the time what was the largest initial public offering, IPO, in the biotechnology industry's history, only to see the Alzheimer's drug at its center fail two years later and the company's value tank. But Ramaswamy, now 37, made a fortune anyway. He took his first payout in 2015 after stirring investor excitement about his growing pharmaceutical empire. He reaped a second five years later when he sold off his pr most promising pieces to a Japanese conglomerate. In 2022, Ramaswamy founded Strive Asset Management, an investment firm that branded itself in opposition to environmental, social, uh, governance framework, ESG, used by some firms to make investment decisions amid a broader pushback against so-called ESG from conservatives. Okay. So there you go. So look, he did create billion dollar companies. He the main thing that got this company to go to IPO was this Alzheimer's drug that turned out to be a failure, but he became a billionaire through doing it. I'm just putting it out there. It just is. And then I just want to show you one other thing. Cause look, I'm giving him credit where credit is due. The good stuff at the beginning. Then he said something that it was fairly bananas, uh, which is that the deep state is trying to get my gut instinct is that I will be the nominee and in a position to win this in a landslide versus Biden. And they will not let Biden run against me. So I believe that if I am the nominee, they will not let Biden run. It is why they're holding in the back pocket the documents case against Biden. It is why they're holding in the back pocket everything else that you're wondering why they're not charging or bringing now. It's not a Democrat or Republican thing. It's a managerial class deep state bureaucratic class versus elected official puppets. What he just said there was that if he is the nominee, that the deep state will not allow Biden to run. Now, I do think the deep state does all kinds of crazy things. I think there is a huge issue if it is not Trump, because if it is, say, Vivek or Ron DeSantis or Nikki or anyone that is younger and more competent, the juxtaposition of that old dementia-ridden man versus these young people will be too much. The chasm will be too wide. The Democrats won't know what to do with it. But the idea that he's, say, he's saying it basically as fact, the deep state is holding it in their pocket, that they will get rid of Biden if it is me. Like, that's like, that's Trump-level gish gallop. Gish gallop, when you lie so brazenly that nobody knows what to do with it, so they kind of let you have it. That is basically uh, where he is at with that. So anyway, I'm trying to give you the good and the bad. I hopefully did that in, in as honest a way as possible. Uh, now, before I jump to DeSantis, and obviously DeSantis is the guy that I think is the best at the moment, who I think is the most competent and all of that stuff. First, I want to note my cards are on the table when it comes to this. Secondly, I want to note that I think DeSantis could be doing a better job in terms of campaigning. He needs to do more combative interviews. He needs to get on Rogan if Rogan's going to have the, uh, the presidential candidates on so that he can do a three-hour long form, just sit there in a t-shirt and talk shit kind of thing. He needs to go on Megyn Kelly. He needs to do a bunch of other, he needs to go on The View right? Go on the view, sit with those ladies and call them out with their lies. Even if you got to do it Ted Cruz style, what did Ted Cruz do as they were lying to him? They were lying and Ted Cruz goes, well, I got the records. Here we go. So DeSantis needs to make some adjustments. I want to just put that out there. That's my feeling about this at the moment. Uh, but let's dive into uh, a couple of the clips. Uh, here's, uh, which, which is what's clip one. Oh, sorry. Uh, first, they went on to uh, a litmus test when it comes to hiring executive officials. 
you also have, a, have to have certain character of people. Like if you're the attorney general, everything you do to deal with the DOJ and the weaponization of government, deal with the FBI, the press is going to rake you over the coals. The left is going to rake you over the coals. The Democrats, they're all going to rake you over the coals. You either are down for that or you're not. And if you can't handle that, if you don't have the backbone to do that, you will fail at that job. So you need people, and I look at different folks in, in government, like on the Supreme Court, I would look to Clarence Thomas as the example, because he doesn't budge. He doesn't care what the media says about him. They've smeared him six ways from Sunday. He does what he thinks is right. So you gotta have those people. And then you have levers that you can pull. I believe Article Two of the Constitution means the president has the executive authority. We just say these bureaucrats somehow can't be held accountable. I disagree with that. Uh, I think you can fire them. If we have an FBI agent going to uh, harass a pro-life activist like they did Mark Houck and send a SWAT team, I'd fire them immediately. When you have FBI colluding with big tech to censor dissent, I would fire those people. Okay, again, I would hearken you back to the two questions I asked at the beginning. Do you roughly believe in the political positions that this guy has and do you think he can do it? So obviously, if, if for me, right, I obviously believe in most of the political positions he has and do you believe he can do it? There's every reason to believe it because I don't know one, one thing, but I would welcome this in the comments. Give me one thing that Ron DeSantis in his now five plus years as governor has said he was gonna do that he did not do, right? He picked all of those fights. When he's saying, I admire Clarence Thomas for doing what he is right, what he believes to be right, regardless of the ramifications, I think that's basically the way this guy is governed. By the way, uh, I do have some differences with him. As you guys know, to me, the six-week abortion thing uh, was too much. I think 12 weeks would have been fine. Florida had 15 weeks, and I never heard any Republicans complaining about it. However, I did hear multiple times at events that I was at with DeSantis in the last year where he would talk about his personal pro-life beliefs. And he, as the chief executive of the state who won in a landslide, is then allowed to set policy. You can decide if you like that or not. And again, as I said earlier, you have to decide where, say, abortion falls in your hierarchy of importance when you're going to vote for somebody. Uh, but there's every reason to believe that when DeSantis says he would fire the people that are overstepping their authority, that he would do it. How do you know? Well, we had a Soros-funded DA. I think it was in Tampa. We don't anymore. He's getting ESG out of our colleges. He's revamping all of the institutions. We now have a supermajority of Republicans because he did the right thing and then was rewarded at the ballot box for it. So I think uh, that is fairly clear. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Uh, he also got into uh, what he would do on some of his uh, first day stuff, and uh, I think you'll like this one. There are thousands of positions in the executive branch that are appointed by the president. You gotta have all those people ready to go to be submitted to the Senate in January of 2025. You can't wait two years to fill all the positions because then these career bureaucrats, they just take over. So you gotta have your people in there on day one. Had I been president 2020, Anthony Fauci would have been fired and you've gotta be willing to do it. Okay, now you can either believe him or not, but we all know, certainly if you're watching this show, you know that Florida became the citadel of freedom, the number one place literally in the world fighting against mandates. We have now put it into law that, that these drug companies cannot basically force you to take drugs. They can't force you to be masked. The government can't force you to be masked. All of these things about lockdowns, like we've done more on that than anyone else. So to me, there's every reason to believe that he would staff properly, that he would be ready to staff properly. So the day he comes in, he's gonna bring in the right people and you don't have two years. Look, Trump had a problem with this for sure. And again, I voted for Trump last time and I was a huge freaking supporter and I had a lot of, it cost a lot to do that, okay? It absolutely did, personally and professionally. 
Uh, but one of the problems that everyone knows Trump had, and I think he's gonna have a harder time if he becomes president next time, is who wants to work for him? He has turned against literally everybody, basically except his son or his family. And, and that really is an issue. You have to have good people working for you. Can he do it? Uh, I think DeSantis can. I think it's gonna be harder for Trump. I wanna show you uh, just two more on him, but, th but this one I think is the most interesting one because one of the things that I sense the, the Trump camp and the Tucker types are hitting DeSantis on more is the Ukraine stance where he doesn't seem to be for nation building or big wars, but he hasn't been anti-war enough. So here is his position on Ukraine, the war in general, and Putin specifically. I've always thought Putin's a bad guy. I still think he's a bad guy, but that's a separate question for a leader who's got to look at the world in very clear-eyed uh, glasses. You know that it's not all peaches and cream out there, and you have to make a judgment about what's in America's national interest. And so that's the position that I believe, and I also believe that I wish the DC elites cared as much about our border as they do about the Ukraine-Russia border. Because there's people pouring into this country. We have people dying from fentanyl overdose. The cartels are running the show. And what I've said is, this is something on day one, declare a national emergency, mobilize all resources, including the military, stop the invasion, yes, build the wall, but most importantly, authorize the Border Patrol, authorize our military to deal with the cartels. If they're breaking into our country, bringing product, if I'm in charge, that's gonna be the last thing they do because they're gonna end up stone cold dead. Again, do you agree with the guy's policies and do you think he can do it? I think there's every reason to believe that on day one, he would mobilize the military and that we would be defending the border. And it was interesting because you know when we showed you uh, that answer earlier from Tim Scott. And Tim Scott, basically, when Tucker asked him about Mexico and Ukraine, he sort of was just kind of, it didn't, he didn't do much. It was just lukewarm. Well, we can do both. We can sort of do something about Mexico and fentanyl and we can still help Ukraine. And DeSantis was like, we are going to deal with the border 100%. That is going to solve the Mexico problem. He then later on went to say he didn't want this endless war and we've got to put pressure on Putin, et cetera, et cetera. So we'll, we'll find out more about that. I do see that as if you're, if you're like the most isolationist libertarian type, which is, by the way, is just a sliver of, of the voting electorate. Most people aren't. Uh, but I could see that being a concern with DeSantis, and I think we'll find out more about that as time goes on. I want to show you one more because I just thought this was, uh, this was nice relative to things that are going on here in Florida because the amount of people who are moving here, could it change the electorate of Florida as we take all of the refugees from the blue states? And that's a good thing. But when you see half of New Jersey down there, does that make you worry? <laughs> so here's the truth. Um, when, I, when I became governor, and I was born and raised in Florida, I had never seen a California license plate in the state of Florida in my life. And all of a sudden we start seeing California plates. My supporters are like, uh-oh, who are these people? Because remember, you know, I may have won by 20 points in November, but usually Florida races were 1%. So if you bring in 50,000 Californians, 50,000 people from New York, all of a sudden it could be a blue state. We would have supporters go to supermarkets in like Palm Beach, find every New York or New Jersey license plate, put a flyer in the windshield and say, do not vote down here the way they vote up there. And, but what ended up happening was, I think we drew people who believed in what we were doing. It wasn't just these were liberals who just wanted no state income tax. There may have been some of those, but I think most of these people said, you know what, Florida's a free state. I'm not dealing with these lockdowns. Florida has kids in school. I'm not gonna not have my kids be able to be in school. Florida has a 50 year low in the crime rate. I don't wanna see rioting in my neighborhood. So there were a whole bunch of reasons why people did it, but the political orientation of it actually turned out uh, pretty good. So you're getting the good ones. We're getting good ones. And you know what? We're converting people too. I mean, that's, I think, something that we have to do as a movement. You know, you can't just preach only to the choir. I want to get some other people who may not have voted Republican in the past and get them on our team. And we've done that in Florida in record numbers. And I think it can be done across the country. Yeah. Yeah, I want to reiterate something about the, it's not just liberals coming for low taxes. You guys, I mean, I left as publicly as anyone when I left California and made it here to Florida. When I look at my numbers, when I talk to my accountant and my business manager, and I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm saving money 
to be in the freer place. I'm saving money to be in the happier place, the more functional place, the place with better infrastructure and better, better education and all of that stuff. It's crazy. But as you know, I meet tons of people wherever I go, whenever I go, if I go to the grocery or I go to Home Depot, and I meet refugees all the time who are first-time Republican voters. Not only, I had voted once or twice for Republicans over my life, obviously, before this. Larry Elder, for example, in the recall against Gavin Newsom. But I am a first-time registered Republican here in Florida, as are several of the people in this room. I want to give Daphne some credit. She was a registered Republican even in California. Wow. Look at you, look at you, fighting the power. Um, but DeSantis is right. If you do the right thing, it's a different time, post-COVID, when 10 years ago, people used to move places largely simply because of taxes. You know, you'd, you'd make a certain amount of money and then you were retiring and you'd be like, ah, I don't know, I don't know if I wanna stay in New York anymore, I'll move down to Florida, but I'm gonna still vote that stupid way. You just don't even associate these things together. It is very, very different post-COVID and the numbers bear it out because the guy won by 1.6 million votes after winning by barely 30,000 votes uh, the time before to a guy who turned out to be a meth addict, but you know, nobody's perfect. Anyway, who was not at this Blaze Summit? <coughs> who was not at this Blaze Summit? Well, uh, Donald Trump was not at this Blaze Summit. Um, he said he had another engagement. I don't know what that engagement was. It was not a public engagement. Uh, I think partially he did not want to go there because he did not want to be questioned uh, by Tucker Carlson because Tucker, for as much as he likes Trump, and I, my, gu my gut feeling, I think there's every reason to believe that if Tucker votes, he voted for Donald Trump. Tucker would have had to have hit him on vaccines and Fauci and warp speed and the wall not being built and going after Florida relentlessly when he lives in Florida and like all of the stuff. And Trump did not want to deal with that. However, Trump did do something over the weekend. He went to a Turning Point USA action event uh, in West Palm. That's that's home country for Donald Trump. That's where uh, Mar-a-Lago is. Uh, and he gave a speech. I want to show you a couple of clips. He started, I'm, I'm going to show you like the kind of nonsense first, then we'll get into some of the meat. Uh, the nonsense part was listen to how he goes after DeSantis. When I'm president, it will be done very quickly. I believe in 24 hours. Now, somebody like Ron DeSantis cannot do it because he's owned and controlled by the globalist establishment who always puts America last. We all saw how quickly DeSantis reversed himself on Ukraine. You know, it's funny, the other day they were doing a, a straight news show and they said, and ladies and gentlemen, we have Ron DeSantis here. And they scream, no, it's DeSantis, you know. So that's called good branding. Do you? They, they can't even get his name right. The guy's introducing him as DeSantis. I love that. Yeah, I guess you love it, Don. Like, you love it. I'm kind of over it, personally. I want someone that can do the two things that I started this show with, right? That believes in roughly the things that I believe in. Actually, you're kind of getting it on that, Trump. Even still, I think we roughly believe in the same things and want to live in roughly the same country. The question, number two, the key question, can you accomplish those things? Well, look, there's always the name calling and DeSanctus and DeSanctimonious and people, like you could tell people aren't even laughing at it the way they used to. Like it just, it feels like watching a sitcom that you've seen this episode 25 times. You're watching Friends. You've seen this episode 25 times and it starts getting less funny over time. And then one time you turn it on and they don't even have the laugh track anymore. And then you're like, boy, was that, was that still funny? So anyway, also this thing about DeSantis being owned by the globalists. Where's the evidence? Where's the evidence? What politician has done more of the anti-globalist stuff than DeSantis, right? Getting rid of ESG, uh, fighting central banking. Like this is what DeSantis, fighting all the vaccine mandates, everything else. Like, so he just says these things in a certain amount of, oh my God, he said DeSantis and he said he's owned by the globalists. Donald Trump has far more connections with Paul Ryan than DeSantis ever did. I think DeSantis said he met him once. So I'm just putting that out there as the frame of this. But now I want to get on to uh, the next part uh, because Trump said, and again, you have to say, he's. do you believe in the policy and do you believe he can accomplish it? Uh, he says that he is going to stand up against big pharma for vaccine injuries. Kindergarten through college, you don't get anything. You don't get anything. I will also continue my long record of standing up to big pharma by creating a special presidential commission to investigate what is causing the decades-long increase in childhood diseases, autoimmune disorders, autism, <laughs> obesity, infertility. 
okay, so you uh, do you think he will do that? Now, this is the guy that pushed warp speed. He said he's very happy about the vaccines, all of that. Do you think now, the second time around, he will create this commission to look into what vaccines have done from people? His campaign has taken money from Pfizer, all that. You just have to decide for yourself, right? Would he be better than Biden? Ain't no doubt about it. But would he accomplish the things that he's saying to do? Is there any reason to think that he would drain the very swamp that basically drained him as president? He gave Fauci an award as he was leaving after four years of being president. Uh, he also did an interview over the weekend uh, with uh, Maria Bartiromo uh, from Fox Business. Uh, asked, and they talked about the Ukraine war and his feelings about Zelensky and Putin and a bunch more. And th this is a mixed bag in this answer. Take a look. You said you could end the war in Ukraine in 24 hours. Yes, I How did. would you do that? Uh, I know Zelensky very well. I felt he was very honorable because when they asked him about the perfect phone call that I made, he said it was indeed perfect. He said it was, he didn't even know what they were talking about. He could have grandstanded, oh, I felt threatened. Well, that's not going to be enough for Putin to stop bombing no, Ukraine. No, 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 I'm not saying that. I, what I'm saying is that I know Zelensky very well and I know Putin very well, even better. And I had a good relationship, very good with both of them. I would tell Zelensky, no more, you got to make a deal. I would tell Putin, if you don't make a deal, we're going to give them a lot. We're going to give them more than they ever got if we have to. I will have the deal done in one day. One First off, I want to be clear about one thing. You think you make the perfect phone call, Donald Trump? Every phone call I make is the perfect phone call. That's number one. I've never screwed up a phone call once in my life. Okay, that's one thing. Uh, secondly, the, the second part of that answer, again, it's always that people like him. He has a great relationship with them both. Okay, fine. Zelensky, now look, putting pressure on Zelensky, the first part of that answer was right, I think. The putting pressure on Zelensky, like you may have to make some sort of agreement here would be good because Zelensky, right now, what's, what is he getting from the United States? Oh, don't make an agreement, right? We know that other countries have tried to step in and make agreements. Zelensky has, had said, has said no, and our administration basically tells him to say no because they wanna keep funding the war and billions more dollars in and keep that grift going. So putting pressure on Zelensky, to say you're gonna make some concessions here, uh, that is good. The second part of that where he said, well, to, I'm gonna say to Putin, who, and I've, I have a good relationship with Putin, which is a little bizarre, but okay, I have a good relationship with Putin. Uh, if you don't make a deal, I'm gonna uh, basically give Zelensky whatever he wants. I'm gonna give him more weapons and everything. Trump is actually doing the most reverse move against the base you could possibly do, which is saying, I will escalate the war. To give Zelensky whatever he wants, to say to Putin, I'm going to give you whatever you want. I'm going to give you all the munitions you want, all the tanks you want, all the F-15s you want. I'm going to give you freaking nukes, chemical weapons, the whole, we're going to open up the stockpile, get going. To say that uh, to Putin, that that's what we're going to do, that's what we're going to give to Zelensky, Putin might go, oh, well, I still do have nukes. Thus, you've escalated the war. So this is one of those things. And then you have to wonder, again, what were my two questions at the top of the show? Do you roughly agree? And do you think he can do it? When he's, I can end this in 24 hours. I can end it in 24 hours. Like, I'm asking you. I'm not even taking a position on it. Do you think he can end it in 24 hours? Uh, I want to show you one more clip from that interview with Maria Bartiromo, because by the way, she's basically a Trump supporter. I mean, I think she's taken a lot of hits for it, but in essence is a Trump supporter. Uh, they talked about whether Trump actually did drain the swamp in the first place. Thing that you could look back on yeah. in 16 that you think maybe you want to do differently this time around? Well, the mistakes would be that a lot of people, for instance, say you should have been softer. This, But I was under siege by people that were very dishonest. I, if I was soft, I wouldn't be talking to you right now. Believe me, I wouldn't have been I wouldn't have been able to finish out one of the most successful terms as president to a point where it was so successful that I'm leading by 50 points right now. You know, I mean, that wouldn't have happened. Uh, the, the mistake would be people. I mean, I wouldn't have put a guy like Bill Barr in. He was weak and pathetic. I wouldn't have put uh, Jeff Sessions in. Uh, there are some people that I wouldn't have put in. You know, most people were good. But I had some people, uh, we had uh, Esper, I didn't like him. He was incompetent, I thought. We had other people I didn't like. Why did you put them in the job then? Uh, because every, look, every president, you put somebody in, you think they're good. It's an odd con contrition, a moment of contrition, almost like a mea culpa with him, where he's, he never admits making mistakes ever. But like to basically be like, I, I screwed up a bunch of people that I brought in. I mean, you could go through the list. It's Bill Barr, Jeff Sessions, John Bolton, Christopher Ray, Esper. Like the list goes on and on. He's turned against Kaylee McEnany. Again, who has he had? There's been a couple people he has not turned on. I would say Junior, most 
specifically, uh, Rick Rennell. I mean, I guess there's a couple more, but you just have to, when he says, I can end the war in 24 hours, I can, do, I can drain the swamp properly this time, you just have to think for yourself, okay, can you actually bring in the right people to do it? That question I leave up to you. I wanna to shift to one other thing before uh, we finish the show, which I suspect is going to be our longest, perhaps biggest show ever today. That's where we're heading, right here at this very moment. Uh, I thought this was absolutely just spectacular because beyond Democrat versus Republican or even Republican versus Republican, we do seem to have one enemy. The enemy seems to be, and we can all discuss how you take the enemy out the most or who's gonna be the most effective at draining it or any of those things. But the biggest enemy right now does seem to be that deep state, that machine as I often talk about, that is constantly lying to us, that is pushing us into wars, that elevates the worst people and crushes the good people and all of those things. So an actual beautiful moment happened over the weekend on Twitter uh, because the FBI got fact-checked on Twitter. This is absolutely spectacular. So here's the FBI's tweet. Uh, this is from over the weekend. In reference to the false assertions about investigating parents at school board meetings, FBI Director Ray told the House Judiciary Committee that the Bureau is not in the business of policing speech. Community notes, this is Twitter's crowdsourced fact-checking apparatus. The FBI statement is misleading. On May 18th, 2023, former FBI agent Steve Friend testified before the House Judiciary Committee that he and others were directed to surveil and document parents attending school board meetings. You really gotta love it, people. You've got to love it. And this is what is so interesting about the way the internet has been splitting, as I've been talking about for the last couple of weeks. Zuckerberg creates threads, a Twitter clone, the guy in charge of censorship online, basically more than anybody else, who has admitted to working with the government to censor people. He creates threads. Threads, by the way, after it blew up for that first week, Zuckerberg basically hasn't posted in a week. Like the thing's falling apart already. Twitter is doing the often messy, difficult job of even fact-checking the FBI. You have to decide which one of those platforms you want to be on if you want to be on any of these things to get actual honest information. I want to show you uh, one clip in case you did not see it. Our full interview with Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Uh, went up on Rumble and YouTube yesterday. It's been up on Locals Ad Free for about a week already. Uh, but there was a clip that was going viral over the weekend uh, directly related to censorship, big tech, government, all of that stuff. I was the first one that they ordered censored. Oh, the Biden administration came into office on January 21st, 2021. On January 23rd, they contacted Facebook, the White House contacted Facebook and asked them to start to remove me. Hmm. And then three weeks later, there was a battle. They, the people in the White House were threatening Facebook with withdrawal of their Section 230 immunity, mm -hmm. which is existential threat to them. Section 230, of course, is a, the liability shield. So that, you know, if you defamed, uh, you know, Donald Trump on Facebook and said something that was untrue, that you knew to be untrue, that was scurrilous and very damaging, he can sue you, but he can't sue Facebook. Facebook is an, is supposed to be a neutral platform, and it cannot be sued, and that's called Section 230. Mark Zuckerberg said, if we lose that, it's existential. We cease to exist. And so right. they would actually have to censor more in that case because they would have more liability. So they'd be tr basically censoring everybody. And then the White House invited in all of these agencies, the really weird agencies like the Census Bureau. I mean, the CIA was involved. The FBI was involved. The DHS, the Department of Homeland Security was involved. But also like the IRS and, uh, and the Census Bureau and a, a whole bunch of other agencies were all involved in identifying people that needed to be censored. If government can silence its critics, it's, it has license for any atrocity. Okay, so I think you get my point. Whether you agree with me or disagree with me on any of the analysis of any of the political candidates I've talked about today, the bigger issue these days right now is how we can get to something truthful, 
how we can make sure that the government is not stifling our free speech, how we can make sure that the government is not working with corporations to do that, which is known as the F word, that's fascism actually. And that really is the sort of meta problem, meta, ironically, it's, that's the meta problem as we deal with all like the specific policy problems. Uh, David Sachs, who of course I've had on the show many times from the All In podcast, uh, he uh, was on his show, the All In podcast, uh, talking about how Google and YouTube are actually directly influencing our democracy, and this is in relation to RFK. YouTube just banned a video of Jordan Peterson interviewing RFK Jr. Why? What gives them the power to interfere in our democracy that way, where they just decide for their own reasons that the public can't watch a video of Jordan Peterson interviewing RFK? That was pretty controversial when you said blow it up. I mean, I would love for you to say more on that. Yeah. Well, I paraphrased a line from RFK Jr., who was paraphrasing a line from JFK, which is mm. he wants to shadow the CIA into a thousand pieces and scatter to the winds. I said that after they banned the Jordan Peterson RFK interview, that we should shatter Google into a thousand pieces and scatter to the winds. And that thing went massively viral. There is a big part of this country that is really pissed at Google and the way they're exercising their arbitrary power. How many did you get? 12,000 likes? I just think that the people running that company, I don't understand how they make these decisions. All right. I think, uh, David, as always, it's well said. What right does YouTube have when they have certain protections that RFK was talking about, right? The Liability Shield, Section 230 of the Communications Act. What right do they have to decide what information you can hear or not hear? Let's say RFK Jr. is wrong about half of the things he says. And let's say that Jordan Peterson, who interviewed him, that's what they were referring, a Jordan Peterson interview of RFK Jr. Let's say Jordan Peterson was a complete crackpot. He obviously isn't. But even if both those, those things were true, should YouTube have the right to censor it from you? Especially if we know that the government is working with YouTube to do so, which we now know because of the Twitter files. It's interesting that the YouTube files have never leaked, right? But how many times a day do I see messages from you guys, uh, or my team will forward me messages of people you guys that watch this show on YouTube, you subscribe to this channel, you click the notification bell, so you're supposed to be notified of all of our videos, and you do not see our videos. Or the suggested tab on the side of our videos actually sends you to completely the reverse, or whatever it might be. We are being manipulated. It's not the ways that we know we're being manipulated that I'm worried about. It's the ways that we do not know that we are being manipulated that I'm worried about. But competition, whether it is ideological competition between DeSantis and Trump, or whether it is competition between Rumble and YouTube, competition is healthy. It's healthy for a presidential candidate. It's healthy for a better product. And what we need right now, I think, is a strong leader who will fight that machine with everything he's got and do it knowing that the machine is freaking evil and it can turn anybody. That's the character that I think we are looking for right now. I want to end with one more thing. Uh, this is from Jordan Peterson on Lex Friedman's podcast, uh, talking about how uh, that fine line between being good and suddenly becoming a monster is one that uh, can be difficult to tread. Battle not with monsters, lest ye become a monster. Yeah. And if you gaze into the abyss, the abyss gazes also into you. Right, but I would say... Bring it on. <laughs> right? Because well, well, I also say, knowing that he's absolutely right, but if you gaze into the abyss long enough, you see the light, not the darkness. Are you sure of that? I'm betting my life on it. Yeah, that's a heck of a bet. Well, that's... Because it might distort your mind to where all you see... Is abyss. Is, is, is abyss. Yeah. Is, is the evil. Powerful ending to today's program, guys, right? That is the challenge. I guess that's really the challenge for all of us. It's not just the challenge for politicians or the challenge for tech leaders or anyone else. Like, what is the evil that you see out there? What is that abyss? And will you stare into it? And, and the, the old idea is that if you stare into the abyss long enough, the abyss might stare back. Like, you might suddenly see something so horrible about yourself. What Jordan is saying is through that, you might see some light. You might see something good. I think that's the challenge on all of us right now. So I'm ending a very political show. 
In a very philosophic way, I also do think this might just be our longest and perhaps biggest show ever. I thank you guys for watching. Uh, and if I haven't made myself clear, uh, we are on Rumble at rumble.com slash Ruben Report. I do not trust our overlords at YouTube. Oh, and it's me Monday over at Locals. Uh, here's what I put up this morning in relation to everything that happened on Friday. American cities are none of my business. And that's Tucker Carlson pulling the plug on Mike Pence. Mike Pence, obviously, again, I will gladly interview him. I will be at the, the Republican debate. So I hope I will be able to sit down with him and everybody else. The guy who I just said, I'm not going to mention anymore. I'm not going to mention anymore. Not because I'm afraid of him. It's not a Voldemort thing. I just don't think there's, it's worth spending a, a, another brain cell on. I don't think he'll be at the uh, Republican debates anyway. Uh, anyway, we leave you with a cold close that I think you'll dig. And then for every Everybody else that wants to stay in direct contact with us, no matter what, because big tech cannot take us down. Join us for the postgame show at rubenreport.locals.com. Ciao. ETV has just learned the names of the four pilots who were on board the flight. They are Captain Sum Ting Wong, We Tu Lo, Ho Li Fook, and Bang Ding Ao. The NTSB has confirmed these are the names of the pilots on board Flight 214 when it crashed. We are working to determine exactly what roles each of them played during the landing on Saturday. tuning into the Rubin Report. You can watch the show live every weekday at 11 a.m. Eastern and 8 a.m. Pacific on Rumble, Locals, and YouTube. Don't forget to rate, review, share, and subscribe to this podcast. And you can join me for the post-game wrap-up every day after the show at rubinreport.locals.com.